All right, so we've been doing, what is this, week 12? So 11 weeks, it's taken six months or something, to get from creation to the New Testament. So in other words, we covered the entire Old Testament. And everything in the Old Testament has been pushing us forward to Christ. We'll stay in the Gospels this week. And then, you know, it's based on what Jesus did in the Gospels, everything that comes after it. Um, here. So if we have, you know, the cross of Jesus here, the Old Testament's looking forward to the cross, and the New Testament is pointing back to explaining what Jesus did on the cross and how that affects us. So, so the cross of Jesus, um, Jesus coming from heaven to earth, uh, is really the center point of the Bible. It's why everything's pointing either forward to or back to. So in, you know, the last 10 lessons we've did, everything's been hurling us forward towards Jesus. So when we see creation um, being lost to sin, it points us to the need for a restored creation. When we see God making promises to Abraham, saying he'll be a father of many, we, we look forward to them being finally fulfilled in the promise and the fulfillment of Jesus. When we see the exodus from slavery in Egypt, it points us forward to God's deliverance of his people from their slavery to sin. When we see the written law at Sinai, it points us forward to a new law and a new covenant that Jesus will write on their hearts. Um, the, the land that God gives to his people, where he actually dwells among them, is pointing to Jesus coming and actually having God dwell among us. The, uh, the failure of the kings and the judges and the, you know, the prophets, to some extent, points to a perfect ruler, the king of kings in Jesus. So the, the wisdom literature points us to the only wise one in Jesus. The prophets point us to the true prophet, right? The Exodus points us to a greater return, to a greater glory than the rebuilt Jerusalem. Um, I mean, I've been calling this series Signpost to Christ because everything's kind of like this sign. Point us, like, hey, if you want to like, go this way, this is how the story's working. It's pointing us towards Christ. And tonight we finally get to fulfillment of where everything's been leading. Now it's here in Jesus. So uh, in, the, in the Bible, we have four Gospels. We've been doing this every week. Anybody know what books we're talking about? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? And I want to, I basically want to pick six key themes that we have throughout, you know, the various Gospels so that we can understand who Jesus is and what he did as a fulfillment to everything that's coming. Um, and I have a note here that's more for me than for you, but it's like, and I'm going to try my best to just teach the Gospels tonight and not explain everything that's necessarily happening, why what it means, because that's what the letters are for. We'll get there in a month or so uh, to explain back, you know, what the, the cross is about. But basically, we have lots of momentum from the Old Testament. The train's, train's going. You can't stop it. So let's just get into the Old Testament, Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew. You know, it's Malachi, a couple blank pages, New Testament title page. Then we have Matthew 1. Let's say you're starting to... You need a Bible? There's a basket full of them. You good? All right. 
let's say you're starting to tell, you know, the history of Jesus. How do you start the story? How do you start your book? Like, this is the story of God become man who died and lived again? Okay, that's an attention grabber. Like, how do you, how do you start this? I know this is English class, creative writing. How do you creatively write this story, Chloe? Huh? The birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. Yeah, right? Like, that's a good place to start. Hey, remember Christmas? You ever heard of it? Like, let's, let's talk about this. How else do you start the book? Nobody's wanting to write, yeah. Okay, hey, there's a woman named Mary, actually a little girl named, not little girl, girl named Mary, guy named Joseph, you know, backwater town named Bethlehem, and things got interesting. Let me tell you the story of how my life got all turned. I'm not going to fresh print it because I just butchered that off the cuff. What were you going to say? Okay, yeah, the, we have momentum here. Let's go. Here's how we start the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. You know, I'll throw it up there just in case. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimadad, and Abimadad the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon. Anybody starting their gospel, like, anybody think this is a good way to start out the Bible, the New Testament? Like, hey, we're finally there, and now we're like Ancestry.com family tree. You think there's a better way to start <laughs> out the New Testament? Like, we're finally here. Put John first. Goodness gracious. Why, why we got Matthew? But one of the themes that Matthew tries to bring up over and over again is that the story of Jesus isn't something brand new, right? He kind of brings up what he said, the, the context of the Old Testament. He's saying, this, this story of Jesus, this isn't just some random dude that shows up on the scene. We're talking about Jesus Christ, who's connected to David, who's connected to Abraham. So like the big heroes of the faith that you've grown up hearing the stories about, everyone knows David, everyone knows Abraham. We're, we're continuing this story. Um, we're not coming out of nowhere here. It's all grounded in stuff. So I, I get lots of TV recommendations for friends and like they're, they're never as good as my friends make them out to be, anybody else there. And so we'll be like six. 10 episodes in, and like Chrissy and I are like, are we redoing this? And I'll Google like, when does whatever get good? <laughs> and it's like, pulls up like a Reddit page, and it's like, stick with it till the middle of season two, then you'll start enjoying it. Or like, season three is great, like suffer through one and two, you need to know the characters. And then like season three through nine is fantastic. Um, it, it, it starts out slow, but you can't just skip season one and two. Like, you need to know what's going on in Pawnee or wherever because Parks and Rec starts out really bad, and then it gets good at the end, I think. I don't know if I should say that in youth group. I, I should not ever recommend TV stuff. Um, but, but you need to know what's going on. That's kind of what we have in, in Matthew 1. Hey, let's get a lay of the land. Remember, this is God's story from creation, from Abraham 
down through the kings of David, um, he, he had them going out in the exile to Babylon. He brought them home. And finally, we come to Jesus Christ. So we have Abraham, we have David, we have the, uh, the exile, and it all comes down to Jesus, right? We need this Old Testament to understand what's happening fully in the New Testament, right? So one of the themes we see over and over in the Gospels is this idea of fulfillment, right? So genealogies lead, link us to Abraham and those covenants. Uh, and then we go into like Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in Matthew, Anybody else ever tempted in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness that you can think of for 40 years in a desert kind of wilderness? You're just waving. You're... The story of Israel, right? They're, they come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're tempted. They fail God again and again, and they don't receive the promise. Jesus is tempted. He, re- he, he wins against Satan. He receives the promise. I mean, so like 12 times in the book of Matthew, in the 28 chapters, we read, and this happened to fulfill what was written. Um, and then, you know, it says whatever happened. And this fulfillment that we're seeing in Jesus, it, it's always coming back to him. Sometimes it's not quite what we expect, though. Um, but everything in the Old Testament is finally fulfilled in Jesus in the new. So, so the first thing we see in this Gospels is this theme of fulfillment. The second is the theme that Jesus isn't just some great teacher and some great dude. He's, he's actually the Son of God. Uh, we're in Matthew 1. Go to Mark 1. I think we're just sticking to Matthew and Mark tonight. Maybe not. you got 28 chapters of Matthew. Then you hit Mark. If you hit Luke, you've gone too far. Anybody ever watch courtroom shows? Like court TV, or is that just what boring old people watch? I have watched it. You you don't? All right, so like one one of the strategies you might have in a courtroom is you call a bunch of witnesses to the stand. So it's, you know, we saw Liam robbing the 7-Eleven, right? And like we were all there. So it's like testimony, testimony, testimony. And everyone's like, yeah, I saw him carrying out a Slurpee machine, like on his Razor scooter. And like, I don't know how it worked, but apparently it fits somehow. And, you know, maybe, maybe Josiah's testimony alone isn't enough. But when you have 14 people saying the exact same thing, that built a pretty strong case that, that Liam actually stole the Slurpee machine from 7-Eleven. Um, and that's kind of what Mark does in the beginning of his gospel. Um, so look at, look at Mark 1. That's small. You can maybe read it. This is the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who? The Son of God, right? So we have Mark saying, Jesus is the Son of God, who's written, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. That's actually um, quoting Malachi. And then we have Isaiah saying the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. So you have Mark saying Jesus is the Son of God and Malachi and Isaiah saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Then in, chapter, in verse 4, 
We have what? Somebody read four through eight. Anybody? Like Chloe, yeah. Keep going through 11. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention that much first. All right, so in 4 through 11, who's, th who's testifying? Who are we calling to the stand to say, hey, who's Jesus? Who do we have? Who are the characters in play here? Yeah, John the Baptist. Who else? God the Father. Who else? That's verse 11. From like who who from like verse twelve here? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Alright. Um verse thirteen or verse twelve. Oh I'm sorry, the spirit is up here in verse ten. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. So in the Old Testament, the name Satan doesn't come up very often. One place it does come up is in the book of Job, where it's Satan's job to tempt and to accuse God. Um, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So, so Satan here is treating Jesus like God. And who else is treating Jesus like God? Who's, who's made to serve God and here is serving Jesus? Angels. I mean, he's with them. I, mean, I don't think they really testify that Jesus is God, but they exist, right? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, which is interesting because now Mark again is saying Jesus proclaims the gospel of God, which in verse 1 we said it's actually the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does this work? Unless maybe Jesus is God. So in, in the first 15 verses of Mark, what we have is this, you know, the courtroom. Hey, you testify, you testify, you testify. And we have Mark saying Jesus is God. Malachi saying he's the son of God. Isaiah saying he's the son of God. John the Baptist saying Jesus is the son of God. God the Father saying he's the son. The Holy Spirit saying he's the son. Satan saying he's the son. Angels saying he's the son. And closing it out, Mark says he's the son of God again. What do you think Mark wants to teach us in chapter 1? Yeah, right? Jesus is the Son of God. Um, 
And that's from Robert Kenny. Probably none of you guys know him. He taught the Simeon Trust here in the fall. Um, and, and so Mark, when he starts out, he's like, we're not just dealing with some, some strange man that showed up. We're dealing with the actual son of God. And uh, verse 14 and 15 here actually tell us all about his ministry. Uh, Jesus came in the Galilee proclaiming the gospel, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So one of the things we see all throughout the scriptures is Jesus is a preacher, right? All of his ministry is centered around Jesus preaching the truth that the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. What does he mean to repent? Yeah, Chloe's got this. Yeah, what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so ask for forgiveness. Do I, I do have it up there. I should use animations, but I never have time. Like, I'm just like, throw up stuff on the slides. Yeah, so ask for forgiveness. Say, you know what, living for my sin is wrong. I want to live for the kingdom. Instead, Jesus is saying, there's a new king, there's a new kingdom to live for. So don't live for the, the world and the things you used to, but turn from that. Trust in Jesus. Um, in fact, the, the kingdom of God, that phrase, it's never used in the Old Testament. The first place that it's used in the Bible is when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God, because it's not like a physical kingdom like Israel or Babylon, Assyria, Ethiopia. Um, but it's a spiritual place where we experience the blessings of the new king, right? But just because there's blessings, there's also demands, right? Jesus says, if you're going to be part of this kingdom, you got to live like it. Um, Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill them. And, or, you know, Galatians 3, 13, there's a curse that needed to be filled, and Jesus became that curse for us. So he preaches not just the kingdom is here, but what does it look like to be a member of the kingdom of God? How do, how do we live in that way? So you constantly see Jesus saying like, there, there's rules of this kingdom. How do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat your enemies in the kingdom of God? Anybody ever heard of this one? How you treat your enemies in the kingdom of God? You love them. Why? Because that's the way the king acts. What do you do with your money in the kingdom of God? You use it to serve a better purpose, not to be selfish with it. How do you, you know, expect to live your life? Is life easy in the kingdom of God? No. The king says, you know, if they're going to kill me, they'll kill you too. But death isn't the end. Death doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. So we have this proclamation of the kingdom and we also have Jesus as the king. Or no, I guess we have Jesus as the healer. That's the kind of king he is. I should pay attention to my headings. Um, let's go Matt, Matthew 12, 22 through 28. If you're right there, you can flip over. It's up there. Is he okay? Okay. Um, who wants to read Matthew 12, 22 through 28 for me? No one wants to. All right, Sophia, go ahead.
All right, so Jesus casts out some demons. People are like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's casting out demons because he's powered by Satan. Beelzebub, if we want to use that word, right? Or I think only is used in Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's beside the point. Um, it's, uh, and Jesus is like, hang on. So if Satan is fighting Satan, is Satan going to succeed here? No, like, obviously that's not how this works. Maybe, perhaps, just consider that the power of God is in me casting out the kingdom of Satan. And if that's the case, if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, that means the kingdom of God has come upon you. We're, here, we're in the kingdom, right? Um, the, the reality is that in the world, we have King Satan. And he's doing whatever he wants right now. But when the new kingdom comes in, he pushes out Satan's kingdom. And the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus says, as a king, let me, let me tell you what kind of king I am, right? I'm the kind of king who heals people. This guy is blind. He can't see. He's mute. He can't speak. Um, and Jesus came and he says, okay, well, I'm going to heal you. That's, that's what happens in my kingdom. There's healing. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, hey, if you're, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if there's too much weight on your shoulders, if you can't deal with everything in your life, come, come to me. In my kingdom, the king gives you rest, right? For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If, you know, homework and pressure and anxiety and friends and everything's just crushing you, we can come to a different kingdom where there's relief, where there's rest, and Jesus is the one who provides it. He sets things to the way they should be. So all throughout um, in the Gospels, Jesus isn't just preaching, right? He's also healing people, right? You see blind given sight, uh, dead people raised, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Um, that's because Jesus is showing, here's what life is like in my kingdom. We're no longer reigned over by death and its effects, but life now. Um, about the miracles, one German theologian writes, well, uh, this is from the book Gentle and Lowly, and Gavin Ortland, the author, he sets it up this way. He says, Jesus' earthly ministry was one of giving back to undeserving sinners their humanity. We tend to think the miracles of the Gospels as interruptions of the natural order, yet German theologian Jürgen Moltmann points out that miracles are not an, an interruption of the natural order, but a restoration of the natural order. We're so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. But in fact, they're the only unnatural thing, and, and the miracles are not an interruption. So Jürgen Moltmann says, When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he's driving out of creation the powers of destruction, and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The Lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in the natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Right? You get what he's saying there? Somebody tell me what he's saying. Over my kid screaming in the back, right? <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, God created the world where nobody dies, where no one's sick, where no one's lame or, or blind or mute. And, and the world that we live in is, is the weird, unnatural world. Jesus is simply restoring things to the way things ought to be. Which is, it's great, right? If our king is a king who brings life and peace and wellness and, and prosperity, that's great. Uh, that's what the disciples thought, right? Uh, Mark 8, 27 through 33, they're, they're at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asked the disciples, hey, who, who do the people say that I am? Like, public opinion poll, who am I? Like, some say Elijah, some say the prophet, some say John the Baptist. Um, and he goes, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. Um, and Jesus says, don't tell anyone. And then in the next verse, he starts thinking, yeah, and the son of man, he's going to be killed. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're the Christ. You don't die. The king wins. You succeed. You're victorious. And Jesus rebukes him saying like, no, that, that's, the, that's the way that Satan thinks. That's not how this king works. Um, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Um, because also in the Gospels, we see just this huge emphasis on the death of Christ, right? Jesus wasn't just a victorious king who succeeds like any earthly king, but for him, the reason he came to earth was clear. John 12, 27 says, Jesus praying, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to the hour. Now the judgment of this world, now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. So everything in the gospel, Jesus knows the point isn't just for healings and miracles and teaching, though that's important, though he devoted his life to it, right? The point of him coming to earth is so he can die, so that he can cast out the ruler of the world, Satan, so his kingdom can creep in. He can bring all people to himself into the kingdom of God. And the way Jesus redeems is by sacrifice, not by, you know, flexing, which I think gives us something to learn, right? Because we're like, if we want to be powerful, will you do it by power? But that's not how, how the kingdom of Jesus works, right? We follow suit. We sacrifice for the good of others. Jesus dies. He really dies because that's what kind of king he is. And disciples don't quite get it. But that's why we have the rest of the New Testament to explain why. Because the last theme we see is the resurrection of Jesus, right? Nobody's shocked right now that Jesus came back from the dead, right? Everybody's heard that before. We're somewhat familiar with the fact that Jesus rose again. But, like, that's a pretty amazing thing to be really comfortable with, right? Like, if, if somebody comes back to the dead, we shouldn't be like, of course, I know what number six is. It's Jesus. Re like, we should be kind of excited about that. We should be a little bit amazed that Jesus doesn't stay dead, but unlike everybody else, Jesus rises again for forever, right? Um, we see that with the women at the tomb and the angel that talks to him, Jesus isn't a defeated king. Jesus wins. Jesus is victorious. He defeats death through death. He uses Satan's weapons against him. And now he lives. He appeared to 500, over 500 people. He says 500 people at a single time, plus everybody else at other times. And so when we read the Gospels, the Gospels end in victory. The king wins. The king reigns. Jesus is on his throne, and he's 
ruling. Actually, I guess that's the beginning of Acts. So we end the, the Gospels with Jesus alive from the dead, though. Um, and he wins and he reigns. So when we read the Gospels, you got, you know, I think about six key themes here. Maybe there's more, maybe there's less. You have Jesus as the fulfillment of everything we've talked about in the Old Testament. He's not just a man, he's the son of God. He's a preacher of the kingdom, and he also is a healer showing what kind of king the kingdom has. We see Jesus' death and his resurrection. Um, and so we have a few minutes. Do you guys have questions about any of this stuff? Chloe does. Great. I came preloaded with questions if you didn't. Why are there four Gospels, right? Why, why do we need all four of them if, there's, you know, if they're all talking about the same exact thing? And yeah, we have four different authors writing about Jesus' life. Um, each of them have kind of a different theme about things, right? Um, they all present the same basic storyline, especially these three. But Matthew, he really wants to emphasize to his Jewish friends, like, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the completion of everything you've longed for. Uh, I already mentioned like 12 times Matthew's like, and this happened to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah, in the Psalms, in Zechariah, wherever, where we see this idea of completion. Mark, his focus is on Jesus as a suffering servant. Um, actually, in Mark, we have, where is it? Like Mark 8, it's kind of middle of the book. And from about Mark 8:30 up, it's all about who is Jesus. And it's like, who is the Christ? And then from Mark 31 down to the end of 16, um, it's all about Jesus heading to the cross. So his idea is we have a suffering, suffering servant. We have a servant who came to die. Um, Luke, he's talking about Jesus is the savior of the world. He's writing to Theophilus, probably a wealthy Gentile, non-Jewish guy, who says, hey, go out, investigate who this Jesus is. Tell me what he's about. And Luke's like, he's the savior of the world. This isn't just a Jewish guy for Jews. I mean, there's men and women getting healed, children and adults, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles. Luke wants to focus on the expanse of Jesus' ministry. And John's focus is Jesus is God. He's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. All throughout John, you have these things where Jesus says, I am, which when Moses meets God in the burning bush, what's your name? I am. Um, and the very end of John says, like, all the miracles, they're not just for fun, right? They're not just party tricks. These are signs to show that Jesus is God. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they read pretty much the same. Like, we don't know who wrote theirs first and who got copied off of in class or if they were using, you know, all some different source. Um, John kind of stands out as different than the other ones. Is that helpful? But yeah, these are the guys that are the authors of them. Uh, Matthew's a disciple. John's a disciple. Luke was a doctor who was probably friends with Paul. And Mark was, um, where did Mark get his info? I think he was like, friends with John here. He was an eyewitness account of all of it. Um, no, Mark was with Paul, 
and Luke was a doctor who interviewed, which is why you have a lot of quotes in Luke, right? Like, so it's not just, hey, let me tell you about Mary, but you have this song that Mary sang. She's like, oh yeah, I re- like, of course I remember the day that God said you're pregnant. Like, yeah, let me tell you about it. So you have all of these eyewitness accounts in, in Luke. Uh, any other questions? Because I'm about to let you out early and I've never done that in my life. Right, yeah. I mean, they're all tight. They're, they're buddies. Yeah, Luke's the doctor. It's actually funny. Um, this story of this woman who's been bleeding for 18, for 12 years in all three of the Gospels. And, and Luke's like, she's been bleeding for 12 years. And Matthew and Mark are like, she's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all of her money on doctors and they couldn't help her. And Luke, the physician's like, let's just say she's been bleeding and she's suffering a lot. Like he keeps out the little thing about doctors. I'm like, that's, that's funny. If I was a doctor writing, I'd do that too. Um, anything else? You good?